welcome episode four, Future of Beauty Unfiltered podcast. I'm so excited. I have two people with me again today. And actually, on a personal level, this is probably the one I've been looking forward to doing the most because I have no idea what either of you are going to be saying, but I'm excited nevertheless. Um, so we have our very own CEO, Chris Bullock, with us again. Uh, we will be talking very closely about marketing and menopause, what that means for us in the category and how we can kind of navigate that. So thank you for joining us today, Chris. Thank you, Hannah. And more importantly, who I'd also like to introduce is Tina, the wonderful Tina Backhouse, who is currently the UK country manager for women's health in Theramex. Tina has over 25 years experience in global senior leadership roles within the pharmaceutical industry bringing that experience to launch innovative products across diverse ranges of therapy areas with both large and small pharma companies, and most recently serving as business manager at Essentia's Diabetes Care, having spent the previous 12 years smashing it at Pfizer, and then went on to join and lead Theramex in the UK women's health business in 2020. Welcome, Tina. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to have you here today. Obviously, we've been working together for a while, so yeah. um, no. No, no, uh, no doubt we're all very familiar with what we're trying to do, but um, I'd love it if you would, for our listeners, just recap a little bit and, and talk to me more about your own personal mission and what you're doing at the moment to support and educate women around the menopause. Okay, so, well, thank you for that. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, obviously, for those people that don't know, Theramex is um, it's a global company based in the UK. We're based in London. Um, and we are solely around women's health and on a global level that looks at um, menopause, osteoporosis, fertility and contraception. Um, and I lead the UK business and as you said in the UK the business is I think 96% of our business in the UK is menopause. So that's a big area for us and a big area that we're focused on. Obviously at the moment um, I'm sure there's nobody that's listening that um, hasn't heard the word menopause or, um, you know, the stuff that's going on around it. So it's a topic that is out there at the moment. And for me personally, I came to Theramex, um, when I, when I joined Theramex in a, in a very typical haphazard way, I, ha I knew nothing about them and, um, it was all done as a rush. I got a telephone call saying, would I be interested in this role? I had a discussion with someone on the Friday and I went in to meet them in their office in Sloan Square on the Monday, and I started on the Wednesday. And I think for me, at that time, I had worked in a, a number of roles in big pharma, in small pharma, um, lots of different therapy areas, worked in different countries, and I was looking for something, I was looking for something a bit different, but I didn't really know what I was looking for. And then I kind of walked into Theramex on that Monday morning, and knew immediately this was what I was looking for because I felt as a middle-aged woman and a passionate campaigner um, for equality for women that this was a chance to really look at the inequalities in women's health care and especially around older women's health care and really make a difference. So for me, it is a personal mission, the stuff that we're doing around menopause and all the work we're doing and the amazing women and men that we work with to um, in all different types of the business to really drive that equality of healthcare for older women. And I guess, so I think one of the things when I first met you, so I was actually at the 34 years of age quite, I knew obviously about menopause, but I have to be honest to say as a consumer, I was ignorant past the point of going, you have hot flashes and kind of your periods come to a halt. And actually, when we started talking to you about it in particular, it really opened my eyes. And Chris, I know this was a bit of a moment for you as well, where when we started really looking into the world of menopause, just how much of a lack of understanding as a female, let alone the expectation of men as well to have that understanding as a female of what's going to go on and happen in my body at a later stage in life. Um, and kind of the pressure when you then start looking into it to try and understand it, the amount of fear mongering that's currently out there, misinformation. Um, what do you what do you see in your views are kind of the key issues in relation to menopause within the UK market at the moment? Because I think there are quite a few. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. First of all, I think I think you're right. I, I certainly when um, 
you know, I'm 52, when I was going through perimenopause and menopause, I was sat there waiting for a hot flush and I never got a hot flush and I still never, I mean, I sometimes feel a bit warm, but, you know, sometimes it's 40 degrees in this country. So I, um, the, I was waiting for a hot flush and I never got it because I didn't know that hot flushes were just one symptom of around 48 symptoms that could affect women. You know, I definitely had brain fog I was definitely forgetting things I was definitely putting my keys in the fridge and doing those sorts of things and I thought I had early onset dementia um, I thought this is it I'm going to be one of those strange people that gets in their late 40s dementia and that's what's happening to me so and there's a lot of women out there and that comes down to education and, you know, I'm very fortunate in the business I work in that I was, you know, spend my time talking to doctors and specialists and was able to self-diagnose myself because I had been to see GPs and I had been to see gynaecologists, one of whom, a very well-respected gynaecologist, said to me, when I said, what's wrong with me, said, I wish I had a pound for every woman that asked me that. And really, you know, looking back on that now, that seems quite amazing that he said that to me and um, that he didn't recognize that I was um, in perimenopause so I think there's many things that you know are issues for us um, at the moment in the UK education is the main one I think and that's education for women so they understand what to expect what's happening to their body but also education for healthcare professionals in in the way that you would expect a consultant gynecologist to be able to pick up someone that was in perimenopause or a GP clearly that's not the case but there's also wider education you know 20 years ago before the WHI story was um, headlined on the Daily Mail and told all women that were taking HRT they were going to get breast cancer, an extremely flawed study that's since been proven um, not to have any merit whatsoever. 30% of women that could take HRT in this country were taking HRT. Now, even today, with the Davina effect, with, you know, people talking about it on Loose Women, with amazing women like Carolyn Harris and Louise Newson and the British Menopause Society all doing their thing, it's still only 15% in the UK of eligible women who could take HRT are taking HRT. So we've never recovered from that. And I think so that level of education and acceptance and talking about it and understanding, I, I still get people come up to me who I vaguely know from being a school mum in the supermarket saying, oh, well, I'd love to take HRT, but, you know, I'm very worried about cancer. My doctor's told me um, that, you know, the risks and all those kind of things. So that education for women, for HCPs, healthcare professionals, and for wider society is incredibly important, I think. I think wider society is one that, um, when we were kind of going through this process, I know Chris, you have a lot of views on this as well. It's the language that's used for some reason. We were talking about this earlier downstairs. Yeah. Even when you talk about skincare for kind of the forgotten, invisible, whatever kind of consumer you want to call Gen X, however we want to categorize that person, you know, there's it gets to the point where you kind of in, in in the external worlds and when it comes to seeing yourself being represented with an advertising or whatever, you get to 35 and then the next thing, you know, you're retired and living in Florida. So it's kind of this, this really important stage of life and the way in which we talk about it has negative connotations sometimes within the, the culture and even sometimes the marketing community. And I think that was definitely, Chris, when we were you know, started working with you and what you guys are trying to do at Theramex and obviously Femorel and the brands and the way in which you can support people, be that HRT or an alternative, because as, as you've always said, you believe more in the fact that women should have choice. Yeah. Um, you know, from a marketing perspective, Chris, that's a pretty big thing to have that revelation over really within that category of consumer. Yeah, I think I think the marketing uh, community has uh, has some has to accept some of the blame for this. I think that uh, it, it's there's always been a leaning, and it's probably not a new thing in marketing towards the younger generation. Um, you know, if I again, if I had a quid for every brand that came to us and said we're targeting Gen Z, and you know, then more often than not, I would say on average, um, most of our clients are about a generation out. 
in terms of where they, you know, so if they think their their market is Gen X, it's really the boomers, etc. Okay. And I think this is just, it's unsurprising the way everybody wants to associate with youth. Youth is sexy, you know. Youth is cool, and I think, I mean, and from a commercial point of view, of course, it's nuts because you know, <laughs> money is concentrated in those older generations by and large, disposable income. And I think, yeah, the marketing industry has has not. There's obviously some very good exceptions, but has has made the mistake of of always favouring marketing to younger people. And I think it's about what we can now do to start making that shift and that change. And actually, I think the men the menopause discussion, the menopause movement, however you want to start talking about it, is actually created quite a big wave and is, I think, opening the door to actually making people more aware, not just of the challenges that come from a woman that is going through a menopause, but all of these wider challenges that these type of women within this stage of their life face. Because, you know, I think one of the things for me that always I found really interesting was even when you talk about menopause and you look at those products, and let's go natural supplement route for now and we'll not talk about HRT, a lot of it is kind of very much, you know, life's not over, like, you know, but it's not it's not empowering them to kind of go, don't worry about it, here's, here's the help, carry on, keep being awesome. And I think that's kind of the real shift that we're trying to see in that space. I agree, yeah. And we talked about this before, didn't we, because of the work that you did for us on Femoral. And you're right, it's, for us, it's about women having a choice. If they want HRT, they should get the best possible HRT. If they don't want to take HRT or they can't take HRT, there should be an alternative, a clinically proven alternative for them that can help support them um, you know, with the symptoms of their menopause. So you know, for us, Femoral and having that as a food supplement was a good choice for that. And you know, we talked very much about positivity making it a positive message um, rather than a negative message and you know that that's extremely important I think we're you know we saw today that the um, women inequalities committee um, launched their report just this morning on menopause and you know and was talking about <clears throat> excuse me talking about women of this age in the workplace um, and the devastating effect that not supporting women of this age, who are often at the top of their game, who are often big earners, big tax contributors, you know, running companies, you know, given our economic situation, if we don't support those women to <clears throat> maintain their optimum um, value to society, as well as everything else, then we're missing a trick, basically. And that's incredibly important, I think, moving forward. So I, I think... We've spoke a little bit about kind of the issues within that, within this area. Um, Chris, when we started working with Tina, the team, and Femoral and Theramex, and all, actually, there's so many layers to it. That's the thing. Mm. There's what Theramex are trying to do, and then there's actually Femoral, and also there's what you're trying to do. There's so many things at different levels, and I think you know, as a as a man, <laughs> and this is important. You know, how did you feel when when you actually started being exposed to, you know, all of the challenges? As someone that has a wife and daughters and, you know, female relatives, you know, what were your thoughts when you were exposed to the world of menopause? Well, I, I mean, I, yes, I have a wife and two daughters and one son, so I often feel that I live in a, a slightly feminised <laughs> world, and that might be a good thing. I think it does have some, uh, some positives. Um, so I won't say I've had first-hand experience the menopause because that'll be odd I guess it's second second hand experience um so I feel I had a slight starter on the subject but uh no I for me I was immediately intrigued there's something wrong <laughs> around the menopause is what I think I felt initially before we came to this so for me it was a great opportunity actually to explore a complex and demanding subject and look to try and create a marketing opportunity out of it I mean, there's, there's that marketing paradox, which is where, there's a, where there is a, a conflict or, or a, a, there's often creative tension, and out of that you have great opportunity. And I think what we found is a great opportunity here. Um, so, I, but otherwise, I mean, I, I still, I'm still, I would say, still slightly perplexed. I mean, we talked about it a lot about it as the kind of last taboo. Mm. Is it really the last taboo? I'm sure maybe maybe others to be uncovered, as it were, but. I think if you, it's, it's kind of strange. We think about um, all the other subjects that have been difficult in the past have, I think, been 
being brought into the open, so, you know, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, mental health, all these things when I was very small, which was quite a, is quite a long while ago, were, were difficult almost for everybody, it seemed, to talk yeah. about. But there have been su- there's been such good work to make those things, to normalise them, I would say. Um, the, the, why is it that this one particular subject has not been? Now, I don't have an answer to that. What I would say is I think there's an opportunity. What is astonishing, though, is the, the lack of knowledge. And, and as you pointed out, Hannah, to me, I mean, to me, I, I could guess what most peop- men's level of knowledge and understanding about the menopause was. I even sort of assumed that t- most women knew much more, even if it was heading their way or they were heading its way rather than being in menopause. Um, and so, yeah, I was surprised. I mean, we, we have a number of 20 and 30-somethings uh, in the office, female, and, and uh, one of the great things is we have opened up quite an open discussion here about it. And what they said almost universally was, I, don't, I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm heading for. And in and, and some, some sense, they found that uh, daunting, more daunting than it kind of should be. Yeah. And that's one of the factors that drove the menopause positivity idea, which we should probably explore a bit further, but, uh, uh, yeah, needs a little bit of explaining, probably. I mean, yeah, positivity. What's it all about? Are you asking me? Yeah, (laughs) we'll ask you first, I guess, and then Chris can chip in. Well, um, I think, well, ask Chris first. Tell, ask Chris, and then I will give you my view on it. Well, go on then. (laughs) Okay, well, the first thing I should do is, is sort of say what it isn't which is not kind of this, you know, Pollyanna perfect thinking, which is like, all you have to do is, you know, sit and hum and it'll go away, kind of thing. Because, because obviously it won't. And I think, you know, what's clear from the actual research we, we, we did and, and the discussions we've had and, you know, one's normal life contacts is that it can be a very challenging situation, you know, can provide some very big challenges to people. But what I felt in particular was that society was making it worse. So all, all the discomfort in talking about it, the, the stigma. I mean, Tina's referred very uh, effectively to the uh, menopause-aged women in the workplace, many of whom I think have had a terrible time and probably are still doing so now. How could society be doing that now? So I think what we really saw was, is there a way of facing up to this in a way which at least is with a positive mindset that actually can mean society does some things differently? I think and the, the, the kind of key strands behind the positivity, but first of all, uh, aging is a natural journey. I mean, it's a natural thing. So first of all, you know, menopause is going to happen to all women. It's not a disaster. It's not uh, something imposed on them other than by, by nature, as it were. Secondly, we're all, both men and women, living longer lives. So we have to start thinking uh, about, let's say, positive aging. The other thing that struck me really strongly, strongly was that all stages of life have their own challenges. Yeah. Okay. And, and probably the most challenging period for many people, more than perhaps the menopause, is being a teenager. Yeah. We've all been a teenager. Has its ups and has some terrible downs. Okay. So it's just a life stage. And nobody would say, you know, why wouldn't you encourage a teenager to live a positive teenagehood, as it were? So I think, you know, it's just another one of life's challenges. And therefore why the taboo, almost the stigma, the difficulty, the discomfort, all of those things are actually societal. So if it's bad, not bad enough, some of the symptoms are going to be a real challenge for everybody. Yep. Then you've got society imposing this burden. When we've learned to talk uh, in a normal fashion about every other major issue, it seems, that, um, that society has coped with. So I thought, I actually think the brand could play a role in this, um, and we're great believers in trying to find authentic purpose in the brands we work with and not overlaying some, you know, some unassociated cause. And it struck me here that the, the brand itself could play a very positive role by promoting. And it's this particular angle. I mean, there are a lot of people um, trying to break the taboo around menopause. That's a good thing. But that we could take a more specific angle, which is if society will look at it a little differently and let's encourage society to do so, then the brand can have a role in normalising the subject and taking aside, taking away some of the associated mental anguish that society imposes on people who are undergoing the menopause. Well said. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, I 100% agree with that. I think it's, you know, I remember when you, when you first told us about the idea, I think it's absolutely 
the way we should be we should be going you know and I totally agree with you about you know I've I've got a teenage daughter and I you know I see the anguish and the slamming of doors and the you know hormonal rushes that go there and you know but we make it a positive experience and you know and I think you know it's something that I've thought about a lot and one and you know it's very easy or it's actually it's not it's very difficult to um, not always be very angry about the inequality of women and the inequality of mm. women in healthcare. And um, we know there's been inequality of women in healthcare. And for those people who, you know, query about it, then read Kate Muir's book, um, you know, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Menopause. And it will tell you very eloquently in their incredible research around that. Um, but there is inequality in women's healthcare, and especially for older women. You know, um, and you only have to look at clinical trials and the way clinical trials are set up to exclude women mm. and to exclude different things. That means that our healthcare is um, is not equal. And I suppose for us, you know, the discussion around positivity and the chance to use Femoral as a brand to really champion that is a very positive thing. We want it to be a positive thing. I, you know, I feel very passionately that one of the reasons I do this is um, so that you know, my 12-year-old daughter in 40 years' time is not having this same conversation that we're now having and um, with her daughters and, you know, every that, uh, that generation. We have to change this. We have to change this mm. perception. And actually, you know, at the moment, there's been a... There's some backlash, you know, from tabloid media. Um, and I say that in a demeaning way because I mean it in a demeaning way. Um, <laughs> uh, there is some backlash around, oh, you know, these celebrities using their voice and about menopause and Davina and... Or, well, you know what? Great that those women are using their voice because we all have to use our platform. And I'm incredibly proud that those women, whether they're celebrities like Davina and Penny Lancaster, whether they're politicians like Carolyn Harris and Caroline Noakes, what, what, you know, whether they're doctors, you know, like the British Menopause Society, Louise Newson, any of these people that are using their voice in a positive way to try and change how menopause is viewed, how we see it, and, you know, to make it a positive stage of life, just as Chris said, should be applauded and not, um, not dismissed just because somebody happens to be famous. Absolutely. And I think as well it's about kind of changing the mindset through the generations I think that's a really big opportunity so you know I'm I'm the eldest of six kids five girls and wow my mum yeah <laughs> a lot of doors so, slamming in your house well she used to just stick us in the garden and let us rock it out if I'm I completely know. honest it was a safer way to do it for the building that's why it was like a exactly no yeah I was the eldest as well so I kept them in line anyway um <clears throat> but my mum went through the menopause and we are very very close as a family we knew nothing about it mm. We just kind of, for a period of time, were like, Mum's losing the plot, guys. She's forgetting everything. She's yeah. just disappearing for afternoons. She's going to mood swings. You know, all these kind of things. And we didn't have that open conversation, but also we didn't have that awareness to go, Mum, you all right? Like, yeah. you know, is something going on? Do you need, you know, do we need... And, it, and I think... There is that generational thing of being comfortable to have. Oh, there's a spider hanging over my. Uh, oh, that's lucky. Oh, there we go. It's on my bottle now. Um, you know, there is definitely that generational challenge as well. And like you said, you you don't want your daughter to be having the same challenges that you've had and that other people were having it that they are today. And I do I do hope and I believe that as time goes on, there will be this shift. Um, and I think as well, it's about people acknowledging what this target audience do and don't want to respond to so obviously yeah. you you guys took the time rightly so you know to ask the questions you know one of the first things we said when we started working with you was we need to ask them yeah, and actually absolutely. find out how they feel about it and you know I think one of the biggest things when it came to I know kind of a non-HRT alternative um, was they didn't want it to look medical because yeah. actually, it's there. It isn't a condition. It is like you say, Chris. It's just a stage of life. And when we were having kind of discussions internally and working through the way in which we, th you know, wanted to communicate, kind of femoral, one of the biggest debates we had was, well, hold on a minute. If I go through my own personal experience growing up, I had the support and I had the conversations about what's going to happen when periods start, what's going to happen, you know, when you get pregnant, what are the stages that you go through. 
it kind of stops after that. It, yeah. it basically, the communication gets you to the point of getting up the duff and having the baby. Yeah. And actually, if I'm honest, after that, it kind of stops. So that's, and, and is that where society thinks that your value ends? Well, you know? I, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> I think this is half the challenge in what we're trying to unpick at the moment, isn't yeah, it's, it? Is, it? It's painting women as a kind of a, a means of production, <laughs> a reproduction. Um, and I think, I definitely think that's part of it. Although I don't think it's just... Um, uh, just you know the, the prejudice if you like it's, it's just confined to women again I think you know it, we have lived in an age obsessed uh, obsessed with youth and I think yeah. that's 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 part of the problem but but I think you're absolutely right Hannah it's extraordinary and again why is it that you get to that point where it's almost like you know probably at one time parents wouldn't have told her about having a period how they got pregnant you know go back you have have to go quite a bit back back to victorian times so. yeah, for instance though we we probably haven't progressed that much when there are no mother daughter conversations of that kind actually i seem to recall from the research some of the when we did the the qualitative stages and got we were interviewing people that one of the things that people said that some of the women said was that having an understanding mother who did did you know help them communicate talk with, with them about what to expect was a definite definite bonus so again to me that ought to be part of the normalization but it ought to be the kind of conversation that can happen anywhere in a workplace you know absolutely wherever. and it, and, it's, and you're absolutely right about not over medicalizing it so i feel quite passionately about this and that um you know when you're for example when you're pregnant and you have a baby you don't go and see a pregnancy specialist you go and see your family gp or your community midwives who know you and look after you and help you through this natural part of your cycle um so although i applaud that we have menopause specialists and thank god we do at the moment women should just be able to go to their gp they should be able to go or if they don't want um, medical input they should go to their chemist and look and see what kinds of things could help them through this natural mm. um, natural part of their life you should we shouldn't be over medicalizing this we shouldn't be insisting women have blood tests and do all that you know I see I see private some private clinics not all private clinics but some private clinics who are offering wide-ranging tests for women to have and they don't need most of those mm. tests and um, we we can't over medicalize this it's a natural part of our cycle and you know anything that we support whether that's HRT or non-hormonal treatments and other types of support or other brands that you work with as well that can support women through this part of their cycle is exactly the way it should be I think that was one of the things I found really fascinating when we started working with you is actually like you've just said it's about choice mm. if, if if you forget everything else it's about elevating the fact that women should have a choice yeah. in every area of their reproductive rights situation like whatever it may be it's their body and how they want to deal with it and navigate it is a very personal decision absolutely and we're already seeing you know in some parts of the world western world those choices that you know we had progressed being taken back you know years and years and years which you know is devastating I think for women and but choice comes through education and it, it comes through what we said at the beginning of educating women so that they know the choices that are available to them they know what's happening they can take control of their menopause or their perimenopause or their postmenopause about educating pharmacists who might say to somebody who's and their chemist, maybe you could try something to help you with that. Or whether that's um, a GP or a practice nurse, whoever it is, everybody needs educating to a really high level. And we do, you know, the women's health strategy that was published last week, we, you know, I really applaud the fact we have a women's health strategy. But there's there needs to be more tangible things in that women's health strategy to, you know, it can't just be words. There has to be things that make this change happen for women so that they have these choices and that they can actually move forward in this period of their life. And based on, um, so obviously I know that you work um, at lots of different levels and are trying to be involved as, as in, a, in as many, can't talk today, I'll try that again, mm. in as many initiatives as, as possible. What have you been involved with? What have you seen, you know, 
what are the attitudes of the MPs, NHS, all these different yeah. areas that you're seeing that are positive and actually potentially some areas that need a little bit of work? So I think it's interesting, isn't it? So I one of the areas, so one of the campaigns we were involved in, and we still are, and we, we were just talking to you about this, is is we are working with um, a education company called Over the Bloody Moon um, and and developed a hot flush vest and um, which we take into That's organizations. Right, yeah. You don't know what's about to happen I, I, very I, shortly I, either, buddy. I'm waiting to try mine on. I mean oh, I, wow. I saw the I saw them I saw the news news articles so well, that's, that's hopefully that yeah. yeah. So we already just talk- gonna. Can I wait till winter? Yeah, <laughs> no, we're gonna do it right in the peak of uh, August. Yeah, I'll wait for right. the next heat wave. Exactly. So, and you know, we took that with the brilliant Carolyn Harris. We she arranged for us, and we did a, an afternoon in um, Parliament. And what was so great about that is so many people came, so many MPs came to that, and they came because of Carolyn and the respect they have for her and her campaign. But they um, they were cross-party. We had people from the SNP, we had Labour, Liberal, Conservative. And, you know, I'll never really forget being in a room and watching um, Ian Duncan-Smith and um, the Shadow Health Secretary, Wes Streeting, standing together, sweating profusely. I think I've profusely. seen the pictures. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. sweating profusely. And, you know, to a point where Ian Duncan-Smith then went on women's hour on radio four the next day and talked about the impact it had for him Hmm. and how they couldn't wait to get it off they wouldn't uh, they couldn't imagine what it would be like to stand up in parliament and ask a question to the prime minister you know experiencing this so any and you know menopause is more than hot flushes we all know that but anything that gets stimulates that conversation is really good so i see a very big willingness um in parliament by that i see a big willingness in other things that we've been involved in with governments such as the HRT task force and making sure that we get enough HRT into the country. But what I don't see and what is is challenging is how it's going to be translated in the NHS into an NHS that at the moment is overrun and, um, you know, on its knees, basically, and is worse than I've ever seen in 25 years of this industry, how do we make a difference? Because that, for me, is the challenge at the moment. You know, we have, we, you know, we and other people have bought new medications onto the market. The, the red tape to get those used locally means that there's postcode prescribing. You know, we're championing the idea of a national formulary so that, you know, whether you live in um, Surrey, where we are now, which is very beautiful, or whether you live in Doncaster, you should have the same ability to be treated the same for your menopause. You should have the same um, medications available to you. And that's not the case. We saw a really good study last year from the University of Warwick that said that women that live live in these more deprived areas um, have 30% less chance of being prescribed HRT. And if they are prescribed HRT, they are not prescribed the most innovative and, you know, tr- best HRT there is. They're p- prescribed older, cheaper variations of HRT. So there's huge variation in terms of how we're treated. So the NHS, I think, and the way that menopause is treated by some GPs and, you know, a lack of knowledge and education, again, is the sticking point. I think the rest of society is getting behind the message. And certainly my experience of what I saw, as I say, across party in Parliament has been very positive. Yeah, at least I think what, what, it, what is good is that the time is right. And that's another thing that I think will help us in our campaigning. So if it truly is the last taboo, maybe now is the right time to encounter it because people are seem to be receptive, and that's good. But actually, Tina, one, one thing you referred to, uh, well, I'd almost I don't know, laugh, it wasn't a bit sad, really, was uh, education within the medical community, and GPs in particular. And another thing struck me uh, when we were researching this area. Um, first of all, anecdotally, the number of women who talk about uh, having a bad experience at the GP, I almost you almost end up feeling that GPs were kind of menopause deniers. Yeah. It almost always seemed it's to involve strange. them looking for something else, um, not knowing uh, enough about the subject. I mean, one thing I think uh, came up, which is that um, 
the, you know, I forget the exact statistic, but the amount of training a GP receives is something like it's a one-hour module, you know, and oh, it's yeah. seven-year yeah. training or something. So no wonder them, most of them are floundering. Whereas presumably, uh, you know, if it came to sexually transmitted diseases or even pregnancy, as we said, uh, they're probably pretty good at taking those things in their stride. And that's what we all we want them to do, really, regarding the menopause. Just, as you say, if it's normalised, be, be well-informed, help people, give them choices, Absolutely. you know, and take it all in their stride. And, you know, guess what? Everybody would benefit. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's what I would say about the women's health strategy. Look, it's great. We've got, you know, we didn't have a women's health strategy. Now we have. But it has to be more than a document, you know, and it has to be more than words. And one of the things that, you know, we were a bit disappointed, and I say we, you know, as a wider group, not just at Theramex, but lots of different campaigners, was that, you know, at the moment in um, for GPs, if they treat cardiovascular disease or diabetes or any of these things they are incentivized to do so you know by a quaff and they're incentivized to do so and actually the way to make this happen would be to incentivize them to look at the care of these of this group of women so you know we did want that to happen we do believe there should be national um, formery and equity of prescribing we do believe there should be education so that women and readily available um alternatives to HRT which is why you know we've gone into you know people say to me all the time well why would you go in and you know um bring a a supplement that you know for these women when you when you do HRT successfully but again it's about choice and some women want that choice and we are not here to be deniers of it we are here to say whatever your choice for this period of your life we are here to support you and make sure that you get actually the best possible treatment in that category. And I know this is a really simple question, but for me it was actually a really important one in my own education of the process, which was, you know, who can take HRT, who can't, and um, also the natural or alternative supplements that are out there, why is it a challenging landscape? And some of it is actually around... You know how, how how many studies have been done on the effectiveness of that product themselves? Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, again, it's very frustrating. You know, when you see things advertised and they're they're making claims around, you know, this can do this for um, menopausal women, and they don't have clinical studies. You know, mm -hmm. it's really important that we use that data. You know, in the same way that you know prescription medicines are given licenses because they have good levels of data and they're seen by regulators then you know that's important as well for women that are buying supplements or you know choosing a different way so having that clinical data and having that quality product mm. that can actually make a difference is really important and because otherwise you could spend an absolute fortune you know you could literally sit on the internet all afternoon and spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds trying to make yourself feel better and we don't want that for women we want them to be able to find the right product for them that can make them feel better yeah, and the right product that's going to support the lifestyle that they're choosing to follow absolutely whatever that is you know yeah. and you know i take hrt myself i have friends who don't take hrt it doesn't matter as long as you are getting the best support and you actually have the choice mm. that's what makes the difference and when you when you started taking hrt from that moment where you started kind of realising that you needed support in that area to then actually bringing it into your system, what, what, what did it bring to your personal life? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And, um, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing and you can't always see the wood for the trees when you're in that. You know, this is a period of, of my life when, you know, my marriage broke down, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do in my career. You know, maybe these are all interlinked. And actually, it's very interesting. Louise Newsom from the Newsom Clinic actually doing some research about um, divorce and um you know relationship breakups dur during this time and i i do think that that is the case and i know you know from talking to carolyn harris she feels very passionately that you know there's a huge percentage of women of this age who are in prison you know and is you know where are all these things interlinked in terms of the support they're getting because we know hormones make such a difference as i said you know for me it was the not being able to sleep it was the fact that, you know, I was very active um, and, 
suddenly, you know, I couldn't get out of bed without my joints really hurting. I would walk down the stairs sideways because I couldn't bend properly. And, you know, and certainly within, you know, taking treatment within, a, you know, a few weeks, that, that changed dramatically for me. But I think it was about the fact that knowing what, what was wrong with you, knowing that you could have a choice and you could make a difference in that is incredibly empowering for women and you know I want to be in as I did when I was pregnant and I chose the way I was going to have my baby now we all know babies don't come like that but you know we <laughs> um you know we like to we like to try and choose how we're going to do I bring up my children I bring them up in a certain way and we make choices about that and I want to be um be able to make a choice about my health and, uh, and my health at this age and but I don't just want to be able to do that because I'm white middle class and educated I want all women whether they're you know whatever color they are whatever class they're from to have the same ability to empower themselves to make those choices at this stage in their life you know this is this is not a case of the vanilla sisters you know rampaging on about another part of feminism um that you know doesn't relate to people you know it's mm -hmm. like when people young women say to me oh I'm not a feminist well you know think again because yeah. you are and but we don't relate to them and they don't relate to the subject and we we must ensure that menopause is not like that I know Carolyn Harris talks very succinctly about the fact that when she spoke to her you know friends in Swansea in a working class area of Swansea they said oh you're very posh having a menopause you know and um and that really wow. resonates with me yeah. that we mustn't it has to be information that's out there choice that's out there for all women whether you are a woman who is struggling to you know manage a pharmaceutical company or a ceo of a private equity company or whether you are a woman that gets up at five o'clock in the morning to do a cleaning job before she puts her kids to school all women need to have the same choice and ability to have the same treatment for their menopause you touched on something earlier as well well so i can well said, by the way. I completely agree with Thank everything you. you have just said there. Um, but a question kind of came into my head, and we, we spoke about this a long time ago, but I think it'd be really relevant for now, which is the UK market, when it comes to the menopause discussion, in comparison to other mm. markets around the world. Now, obviously, you spearhead the UK part of this conversation, but from an awareness point of view, are there differences when it comes to that openness, awareness, the talking points of menopause for women? Yeah, massively. I mean, um, it's certainly across Europe, with the exception of Germany. Germany, The German market is very similar to the UK market in terms of the amount of women taking um, medication, different types of education. But certainly in um, Southern Europe, in Spain, in Italy, it's very taboo. In France, it's very difficult. the The amount of HRT, for example, prescribed in this, these countries, where we talk about fifteen percent of eligible women in the UK, it would be nearer two, three, four percent in those wow. countries. So, they have never recovered um, from this fear and um, of you know getting breast cancer, of it being dangerous, and you know, and not being spoken about actually by these women, just not spoken about or by their healthcare professionals. And if you think in a lot of these countries, they have private gynaecology, you know, they go and see their gynaecologist very regularly, much more so than, than we do here, where we only go when there's a problem, then it's still not talked about. So there's huge variation. And then of course, in America, you've got very, it's so variable. I mean, I've certainly got friends in California who struggled to get HRT, you know there's um there's lots of different the americans like to compound make their own mixes of you know this is terrible really in terms of managing hormones and um so there's lots of different elements at, at play there but again a lack of understanding you know one of my friends who lives in san francisco very liberal well thought you know san francisco is not you know iowa it's somewhere where you would expect you know to get reasonable care um, had a hysterectomy and was told by her gynecologist she didn't need HRT. So, I mean, which is utterly ridiculous. So I, you know, all these things just show that there's a huge amount of work to do. And I know that a lot of the women 
who are making a massive difference in this country have, you know, have a passion, including Davina and all those other people, to take it globally and to make mm. sure that women across the world have the same opportunities. And so the UK market in, in comparison to these other markets is more progressive. Yeah, it is. It is more progressive. Um, and so what I always say to people is um, it's not brilliant here, but if you think it's not brilliant here, it's worse in other places. So, yeah. you know, let's be... We have done a lot of work. We've seen in the last couple of years huge amounts of growth in the market, um, both for um, hormonal and non-hormonal treatments as well, mm. and choices. So that And, you know, this conversation wouldn't have been going on five years ago. So mm. we see a lot of progression, but we're not saturating the market. We're, you know, we still have a long way to go. So all the people that say, well, I'm fed up hearing about menopause, well, you know, you know, button up because it's not going away and we're going to carry on talking about it till all these women have equitable choice. Absolutely. And I think, so I guess my last kind of question for you really is, in your experience across the years, what role do you think that brands, companies can play in breaking down those current taboos? in society and actually changing that narrative around menopause and actually su supporting the education of it as well. I think, I mean, I do think brands have a, have a really important part of this. If you think that, and the first thing I, I, I think is, it comes back to your point about your advice to us when you first started working with us is research is really important, you know, and there is nothing as a menopausal woman Myself, I hate more than people making assumptions around the fact that, oh, do you need a fan? No, I don't, thank you. <laughs> so um, I'd like a gin. That's what I'd like. Wouldn't so, we all? <laughs> that's universal. Yeah, that's not well, yeah, women. to be fair. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, so having that research about what, what the issues are for women, what is important to them, I think is incredibly important and, and brands have a responsibility to do that and whatever brand you are whether your makeup whether your sanitary towels whether your um, supplements health supplements like we are you have a responsibility to understand your market and to ask the questions and you know I listened to some of that research that we did and it was surprising to me you know I, I the question would be asked and I think oh well, I know the answer to mm. this you know in a, quite a cocky way because I live and breathe this and it wasn't what I thought and um, it's really important that we we understand that and I do believe that, you know, I am a great believer that all brands, you know, if, if they're talking about it, I'm happy. You know, I see, I see advertisements on television for brands, you know, targeting this, this group of women. Um, you know what? Some of them I like, some of them I don't like, but I don't really care because they're talking about it and they're making the conversation. And I think that, you know, the more that brands do that and the more that they understand and can actually help shape the conversation. I know, for example, at the moment, um, Boots have got um, a menopause bus going around the country with... Um, um, this morning, the TV show, great, you know, great. I'm all for that. And, you know, that they're taking doctors and they're having those conversations. So I think, but the responsibility, I do think, is is about understanding it completely and research because it's not just about hot flushes. Chris? Yeah, no, well, absolutely. So I think the, the brand thing, unsurprisingly, perhaps for me, you'd hear, I mean, I absolutely relish the opportunity to activate a social purpose-based campaign yeah. with Tina. Um, I mean, I've been a vo vocal critic of what I would call unrelated brand purpose, you know, adopting uh, adopting a marketer's favorite cause. Why? Well, because it's fashionable or whatever. Yeah. Um, so this is a chance to really do something. I mean, talking again about the research, uh, if you follow the research we did, there, there, you, there were times you could, feel a little bit bleak about the subject, okay. Um, I noticed quite a few people when asked how they felt about experiencing the menopause, quite a common comment was sad. Yeah. And that really got to me, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because as I was alluding to earlier, I mean, you can't completely eliminate all the physical symptoms that somebody's going to uh, have. But the mental state surely is something that society, as I alluded to, can impact on. And I think this is where we, we as an agency will have a rare chance to make a difference, you know, where it matters. 
And, you know, if just a few, a few less people felt sad about, you know, their condition, yeah. as it were, uh, that would be a very good thing. And I think, uh, I think we have the opportunity to do that. I mean, I think that's really important. And, and you know, of course, the, the sadness and the anxiety are from why women are given antidepressants. Now, of course, years ago, a lot of them were locked up in as- asylums at this age, you know, because they were losing their minds. And um, so, you know, we haven't really progressed that much. We're just giving them antidepressants to shut them up and get them out of the GP surgery. And the fact is that that sadness, it doesn't need antidepressants. It needs an understanding of what you are and an education so you can make choice. And that then, you feel less sad when you're able yeah. to make choice. I mean, even just look at a woman's monthly cycle. Yeah. I'll have a couple of days a month where I sit there and go, I really want to cry today and I don't know yeah. why. And I'm not an overly emotional person in that sense. But when you start actually trying to take the time to be more aware of what's going on in your own body, you can, I can look at the apps or whatever that I use to track and go, oh, that makes sense. Absolutely. But, but, we, but, but when you're entering that kind of a later stage in life, it's on a, such a bigger scale. Yeah. And of course, you're managing things. So you're often managing children or aging yeah. parents or big careers. So you're not as focused. You know, my 12-year-old daughter who's having massive hormone, you know, some, she says to me sometimes, I just feel so angry. And I think, because you've got time to think about how you're feeling. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And actually, the problem is in menopause, we don't have time. You know, and so all we know is we're not sleeping, we're feeling terrible, but we haven't got time to analyse it in the same way that you can when you're yeah, younger. It's the headspace. So it's that headspace. And so I do think it ends up, you do end up feeling sad. And I think that is, you know, we can stop a lot of women feeling sad and by really helping them with their choices, I think. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much oh, for it's taking been a pleasure. the time. I love talking. Oh, well, I love you. So it's <laughs> thank amazing. You very much. You thank you very much. Thank you so much, Chris, as well. I could literally talk to you about this for hours and hopefully we will uh, see you back here next time in a, in a cheeky little vest. In the hot vest. vest. Oh, exactly. yeah. The menu vest. Bring minute it on. by minute. Bring, bring it on. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Thank Tina. you. Thank um, you. Thank you so much for everyone that's been listening today. If you have any questions, you want to have a chat with us about this subject, uh, please do get in touch at podcast at thepoolagency.co.uk and we hope to see you next time. Thank you. (laughs) 